Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, our text this morning will be verses 12 to 17. We are in the, the portion of Scripture where Jesus has finished His public ministry. And now He is having the Passover with His disciples. He is in the upper room with them. He is teaching them still. He is... <clears throat> trying to prepare them for what is getting ready to take place. And he's doing so with full knowledge of everything that's getting ready to happen to him. We had read in that first verse of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then it goes on to tell us what he did. He knew everything that was getting ready to happen. He knew it was going to be just a short time in which they would go to the Garden of Gethsemane, that he was going to be arrested, that he was going to be tried and beaten and crucified. He knew all of these things, and his concern was not even necessarily what was getting ready to happen, but still directed towards his disciples. There was one lesson left to give to them, and that was that of serving others. At this particular meal, we read from, or we read of the other gospels that it recorded what was going on there. That they were actually having this conversation amongst themselves about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And as they're debating this amongst themselves, this is when Jesus gets up, takes off his outer garment, he dons himself with the garment of a servant, and he begins to wash their feet. The greatest among them. Judas was there as well. He still hadn't left at this particular time and our Lord was still performing this act. He comes to Peter. Peter, no doubt one of the ones who was debating uh, the greatness, his greatness in the kingdom. And as Jason had expressed to us there last week, he comes to Simon Peter and then all of a sudden he has this spell of humility. Whereas before he was... Talking very proudly along with the rest. Now he's, he's talking with this humbleness towards the Lord that never shall you wash my feet. And the Lord had said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And we recognize this, uh, the, the significance of the things that were going on throughout this whole time of, of Jesus performing this act. Humbling himself. It was part of his humiliation. It was just a portion of it. The greater was to come whenever he would indeed be put up on the cross. But the amazing thing of all of this, as we've been through the past couple of weeks, is that Jesus is focused himself upon his disciples in the last hour of his life. Many times, we've, as we've talked about, usually when we have a loved one that is getting ready to die, getting ready to pass on, our first inclination is to go to them and try to comfort them and to give them words of encouragement that they're getting ready to die and all of this. Jesus knew that his hour had come, and yet Jesus was not receiving any of that from his disciples. Rather, he was giving this to his disciples. He kind of flipped that around, teaching them such a lesson about being a servant and walking in humility. 
And in doing so, you would impact the greatest, the greatest amount of lives walking in this way. For example, if you were just to think to yourself who it is that has influenced you or who has made the greatest impact on you in your life, who would it be? And why? You know, we, we put so much emphasis or the world puts so much emphasis on those with fame, whether movie stars or singers or other people of fame, <clears throat> sports people. And yet, if you were to really think about it, you know, these are the ones that have the most popularity among the nation and probably among the world and all of that. But can you name five to ten people that has received the greatest awards within their particular field? Who's won the World Series the last five years or the last ten years? Do we even know? Who's won the Grammys the last five to ten years? Do we even know? And yet we put so much stock in these people and yet they don't impact our lives for the betterment. The people that bring the most to your life are those that are willing to invest themselves in your life and to serve you in whatever way that you need to be served in the moments in those moments of your life to have the greatest impact on you because they they set aside time to dedicate to you, to be kind to you, to humble themselves to you. Some of the people that have had the greatest impact in my life are not people of fame. People that I love dearly. And set aside time. In order to invest in me. Who's been those that have done that to you? And if you just stop to think about that. And just to consider that. What an impact that you have had in your life. Would you not want to do the same for others? But what it takes in order to do that is not walking in arrogance and in pride. It takes having the heart of a servant. Here we are celebrating the resurrection day of our Lord Jesus. There was no greater example of a servant serving others than there was of Christ Jesus in all that he did. No greater example. But you know, the very thing that we often miss is that we are to follow in that same way. To serve others. To invest in them. To set aside time for them. To teach them. To do whatever is necessary in order to help them along in their growth in Christ. These are the things that we're finding within this passage. We put too much emphasis on maybe making a name for ourselves. That's not the most important thing in life. What matters most is not bringing more attention to yourself, making a name for yourself. What is most important is the care and the service that you render to others. Life isn't about, look at me, look at me. Look how great that I am. So many things we could put ourselves on a pedestal for. Not really, but we do that anyway. Life isn't about that. It's, it's about walking in obedience to Christ and in walking in obedience to Him and following the path of Christ is a path of service. If the greatest that ever walked the earth can serve in the way that Christ Jesus did, then we have no excuse. Let's look at this passage together here as we learn of these amazing, wonderful truths from God's Word.
If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word in John chapter 13, verses 12 to 17. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. And let us hear the words of the living God. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's pray together. Gracious God, how we thank you for this day in which we are celebrating the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and his work of redemption. And Father, we desire to honor you by our lives in view of these wonderful truths. So we pray that the spirit of God would move mightily within our midst and apply this passage to our hearts. That we would walk worthy of our calling to Walk after the example of our Lord Jesus, and in doing so, receive the divine favor of our God and Father. Bless the preaching of your word, and may it accomplish all you desire in us. For in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> now Jesus says, just washed their feet. There was great significance in the things that he did there, of course. He takes off his outer garment. He dons the garment of a slave to perform the, the, the lowliest of tasks. A task that, as some theologians would say, was not even relegated to Jewish slaves, but were only for Gentile slaves. The greatest that ever walked the earth. The Lord of glory. The Holy, One of, uh, the Holy One of God. The one before whose face seraphim cover their wings. They can't even look at him. This one. Puts an apron on. And begins to perform the task of a slave. Of the lowliest of servants. In washing the disciples feet. They should have done this. One of them should have. But they were too focused on how great that they were or how great they were going to be in the kingdom to have done this. This is, this is beneath my dignity to do this. And yet the greatest one among them stands and begins to do so. This wasn't necessarily just an outward example to follow. But you have to think as well of, of the, the, the disposition of Christ in this moment. He knows that his hour has come. He knows that he's getting ready to depart. He knows the pain in which he is getting ready to suffer, not only by the hands of men in the most excruciating way that a human being could die, but also in the father pouring out his wrath upon him, something he's never experienced in his, in his being ever. And in view of all of that, his focus was not on himself to say, I need comforting words for me. You need to 
speak things to me. Instead, his mind is, there's still teaching to do. I still need to focus on my disciples and prepare them for what is getting ready to occur. And so his mind was not even the Lord Jesus. His mind was not on, on me, me, me. His mind was on them. You know, we read in that first verse that he loved them to the end, that he loved them with that perfect love. You could look at it that way, or he loved them to the end of his life. He loved them to the fullest. And part of the love that he had for them was to continue to teach them and to shape them and to mold them. That's where his mind was at. That was his, his attitude of humility. <clears throat> his... His service to his disciples, this this act of great humility on the part of our Lord was done, even though his soul was troubled. If we go back and read in John chapter 12, verse 27, when he understands, when he comes to understand that his hour had come, he says that he says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. And we talked about then that John doesn't give us an indicator, doesn't give us a scene in which Jesus is praying in the garden and he's praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. John doesn't record that, but John does give us an example right here the, of, the, of the same kind of way in which Jesus was feeling at them in those moments. His soul was troubled because of all that he was getting ready to endure. And no doubt that's still carrying over. It's not that he forgets it or he puts it to the side. He's, he's, still, he's still acting and doing in view of what is getting ready to occur. And the focus that he has is on the disciples. He's ministering to them, even though perhaps it wouldn't be normal for someone in that particular situation to do that. You know, a lot of times we only minister to people when we think it's proper for us to minister to them when we're in the right state of mind. We use, the, we use that kind of an, exa- uh, of an excuse to say, I'm not in the right frame of mind to minister to this person or that person. And so we put it off or we hand it to somebody else. When Jesus, in view of everything that he's getting ready to, to happen to him, is still focused on doing that very thing. He's going to continue to minister to them. His mind is focused in on the work of the Father. His mind is focused in on those that the Father had given to him and to prepare them and to to grow them. There was still growing that needed to be done, of course, on the part of the disciples, especially considering the conversation that they were having. But he was still looking out for their needs. He was still preferring them above himself. And in his final hours, he still did not give up or give up teaching or put the focus back on himself. They still needed to understand and he still was going to teach them. There was no selfishness here. There was no self-centeredness here on the part of our Lord. He had not only he not only performed the act of humility, but his his attitude was that of, of a humble attitude. And so he did exactly what he knew to be right, what he knew that his disciples needed, because in a few short hours, they're going to scatter. They need to hear the things that he he still has to say. They need to see the example that he's leaving for them, that they would continue to perform it. 
following in his footsteps. This was a great act of humiliation on his part. The greatest act again would be on the cross. This act was a picture of the entirety of his of his ministry, as we learned from Jason last week. And what a great lesson it is for us as far as when it comes to our mindset in serving others. That our focus should be to do the very thing we know to be right by other people, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. To still minister, to still render comfort and encouragement and strength to those who need it, to put our own self aside and to focus on someone else. That's what he's doing. You know, and that's what the Apostle Paul says to do in Philippians 2, is it not? Prefer one another above yourselves. Look out for the interest of others, not only for yourself, but for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, he says. This was the attitude of our Lord. As we heard the passage last week, Jesus says, I come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So it's our attitude that needs to be put in check oftentimes and our attitude that needs to be focused on others rather than ourselves. For that is also following the example of our Lord Jesus. Not only does he have the, the, the right attitude here or an attitude of humility and the willingness to serve them in this way. There's also this lesson, of course, that this whole, this whole scene is, is driving toward. He says, he, he asked them, do you know what I've done to you? You're talking about how great that you are in the kingdom, but I'm the greatest among all. And do you, do you recognize what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and teacher. that would be equal to rabbi. And, and it was a, uh, a, a title that was uh, said to Christ very often, especially throughout this, uh, throughout this gospel. We hear Nicodemus calling him this. We hear the Samaritan woman calling him this. It was out of respect. He's not only teacher, he's not only rabbi, he's also Lord, which is kurios, which is the equivalent of the Old Testament Adonai. He's the Lord of glory. He's the divine one. And he says, and you're right for calling me this because I am. But here's the lesson then. He says, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Now, this isn't giving a mandate that we need to wash each other's feet. This isn't part, this isn't one of the sacraments of the church. It is something that we do periodically, like we did Friday at our communion feast. It's not something that we try to take lightly or just, just to perform once a year to, to have that, that one act of humility. It's out of the way. We've done it. And now we can go back to whatever. This is 
this act that he has performed is a, is a perpetual service. The idea there is perpetual service, rendering service to others. He rendered this service to them, being the greatest among them. And he says, as I have done to you, I have served you in this way, performing the, meni- the, the lowliest of tasks, the most menial task, that fit for a Gentile slave. I have done this to you. I have served you in this way. And you need to be serving one another. Instead of arguing who's the greatest and who's going to serve this one or serve that one, you ought to be saying then, let me serve you. Let me be willing to serve you. And that's the lesson there. Rendering service to those that you are sent to. He says, I gave you this example. You need to do it. And he, he adds this in here. Truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. So he's going to cover all the bases here. He's saying, I'm the master, I'm the Lord, you're the servant, you're the slave, you're not greater than me. If I'm doing this, you ought also to do this. I'm the one who sends you. You're not greater than the one who sent. He's going to send them as his apostles, and that's actually, I think, the first time in the Gospel of John that that word apostolos is used. One who is sent. Nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Now, a king would send you know, his servant or his representative and whoever he was sending them to would receive that representative as they would receive the king. But he's saying even though maybe you're with this kind of understanding of things, though you're received as I, you're not greater than me. And though they may treat you with with. Your great accolades or great praise and all of this. Your duty is to serve them as I have served you. And what a great lesson that this is. Because we get in positions of authority. Positions of influence. And the very attitude that many will have is. You do what I say. And you serve me. And sadly that's something that happens often. Within the church. Within the church of Christ as a whole. The attitude of, of being a servant. Doesn't trickle down from the top down. Instead you see a lot of ministers and, and officers within the church. Who have great arrogance and great pride. And there's no place for that. And in fact as we learned last week too. When Paul speaks of being a minister in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, I think in chapter 4, he uses that word minister, the translated minister in English, but it means the, the third level deck slave. He says, we are ministers, we are third level deck slaves. That's what it is to be a minister. That's what it is to be one who has influence over others. It's the guys or the women at the bottom of the ship who is rowing the ship and just... Putting it along. Those who are serving others. None of us are greater than Christ. Obviously. And if he is willing to humble himself in this way. Then what excuse do we have? 
especially if it were the task of washing someone's feet. You know, sometimes when you talk about that and you talk about washing someone's feet, sometimes it immediately comes to your mind, I ain't washing no one's feet. That ain't happening. You wouldn't have done well at the Last Supper with Christ. You would have had this strong rebuke just as they did. It is not beneath the dignity of any one of us to wash another's feet. To serve them in humility. It's not beneath any one of us. That's one trait that needs to be present within the people of God is that of humility. Of walking in humbleness, not thinking so highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And those are warnings that the Apostle Paul gives. Let not a man think that he is something when he is nothing. For if a man thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In Galatians 6. We need to remember and to reflect upon our Lord Jesus and the greatness of our Lord and how he served others. And this is exactly the way that the Apostle Paul says to cultivate that humility within our lives. He says back in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's the example to follow. This is how we cultivate it in our lives. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is how we cultivate humility in our lives. By following the example of Christ and reflecting upon Christ and reflecting upon who he was. And the fact that the Lord of glory came down wrapped in human flesh and he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. And he was obedient unto death. All the way to the end, obedient to the Father. We're nothing in comparison to him. He was the greatest of all. Again, actually, that was a, that's a quote by Spurgeon. Speaking of those that had mocked Christ on the cross, Spurgeon said they mocked him before whom angels hid their face. The greatest that ever stepped foot in this world served others. And in doing so and serving others, he honored his father. And he left an example to follow. Walk this way after me. Be imitators of me. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in the light. You know how we do that? We follow the example of Christ. We serve others and in doing so we not only profess them the truth of, of Christ and the truth of the gospel, but by, by rendering service to them, we are demonstrating the truth of our profession. 
And by doing so, he says here, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You know, we want to live a, a blessed life or we want to live a joyful life and all of this. Living a joyful life is living a life serving others. How can that be? That, is, that just seems so odd, doesn't it? You know, we think of living, living the life as, as sitting around, lying out on some kind of a couch or whatever, having people around you, feeding you grapes and all that stuff we see in the movies. This is the life. That's not the life. Having those kind of luxuries doesn't add joy, doesn't add happiness to your life. But rather, when you know what you're doing is pleasing to the one who saved you, those are the things that bring true joy to your life. When you consider the great humiliation that Christ endured on the cross, washing the disciples' feet was just a part of that. The Lord of glory allowed himself to go through a mockery of a trial to even help them along which is it's it's so funny to me just reading that that passage when they're they're having this trial and they're trying to put him to death and they can't come up with anything because those that are coming forward it's it's demonstrated that they're they're false witnesses and all of that and so finally the high priest looks at him and says if you're the if you're the Christ just tell us and it's like Jesus has to help this process along because they can't even do this right. It's like, I am. And you're going to see me sitting at the right hand of the power on high. Then they tear the robes. And oh, he's blasphemed. Now let's put him to death. And it's like Jesus has to help him do that. Then he's going to endure the mockery of a trial by the Romans. He's going to be beaten. He's going to allow himself to endure these things. He's going to allow himself... To be taken to Calvary and to be crucified. And he's willingly, willingly, going to be the object of the Father's wrath in place of sinners. All of these things were absolutely necessary for our salvation. But the very thing that it took was the great humiliation of the Son of God. To be beaten, spat upon, rejected, despised by men. To die the death of a criminal. And he did all of that first and foremost to glorify his Father and to redeem those whom the Father had given him, which is all the people of God. This is what he did <clears throat> on behalf of sinners. There's no greater act of service that could ever be done for you. And when you begin to think on these things and reflect upon these things and what it took in order to save you. It took the death of the son of God to save you. Then when you walk in obedience to him and you're doing the things that you know are right. And you know that what you're doing is pleasing to him. It brings joy to your heart because you are saying to him, I can never repay you back for all that you've done for me. But let me demonstrate my love for you by doing this. By walking in obedience to you. By serving others. And in serving others, I serve them as you served us. 
I'm looking out for their interests instead of my own. I'm preferring their needs above my own. I'm preferring their circumstances above my own. And in all of these things, I seek to please you because you've done so much for me. This is the attitude of the people of God that we need to have in order that we can cultivate that humility even more in our life. That we can truly take joy in serving others rather than seeing it as a burden. Because we often do that. We see the idea of serving others as a burden to us. Well, I got better things to do than to do this. Well, not really. Because when you've served the least of these, you've served him. When you've been kind to the least of these, you're showing kindness to the Lord. When you love the least of these, you're demonstrating a love for the Lord. A disciple of Christ, their life is characterized by serving others. And this isn't to mean that we serve others apart from truth. We serve others in view of truth, in, the view, in view of the truth of God. Recognizing that all people are image bearers of God regardless whether they believe or not. So we treat them with dignity and value. We try to do right by them as far as we can go. Maintaining the truth of God. And we take joy in doing so. Rather than taking so much pleasure in people serving us or speaking so highly of us or any of that other stuff. Our lives are characterized by serving others. And this is the example that he has left for us. And by doing so, you are blessed if you do it. You have the divine favor of God upon you as you do this. So it's not a waste of life. It's not a waste of your time. It's not, I can enjoy more things better, etc., etc. The mindset should be, I'm honoring my Lord who gave his life for me. I am taking delight in him. And he's taking delight in me. I'm blessed by walking in obedience to him. That's the kind of character that we need to have. That's the attitude that we need to have. And in doing so, we are walking after the example of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave the ultimate price in order to redeem us and to save us. We owe him everything. Every breath that we take, we owe him. Every bless, uh, blessing that we receive in this life, we owe him. Why is it so difficult for us to live a life that is, that is seeking to please him in view of everything else that he's done? It shouldn't be. So then let us begin now. Let us start. And the thing that cultivates this is reflecting again on the things that God has done for us in Christ. Always reminding ourselves of the work of our Lord Jesus, of his redemption and the forgiveness of sins that we have in him. And those things help to cultivate that kind of a life, that kind of an attitude, that kind of actions. And so indeed, let us take the things that we are celebrating this week and only use it even more in order to further our life in Christ to please Him. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, how we thank You for this portion of Your Word and 
Father, we thank you for the great example of our Lord Jesus Christ and his service to others. Father, we battle often with ourselves. We battle often in, in serving others because other things tend to take our time and our attention. Oftentimes, we, when we neglect to immerse ourselves in your word, we tend to take your salvation for granted. We tend to lose sight of things. Father, in view of what we are celebrating this weekend, uh, we ought to be celebrating all the time. Father, let us take these things and uh, we pray that the Spirit of God would illumine, illuminate them in our hearts and they would produce such a, a desire to serve you and serving others. For in serving them, we are serving you. And we can use those opportunities to glorify you in all things. Your word tells us, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Oh, Father, let us live a life pleasing to you. Work in us, shape us and mold us to be what you desire. And we'll never fail to give you the praise and the honor in all things. For any good is always yours. Thank you, Father, for the salvation of our Lord. Thank you for his, his great sacrifice. Thank you that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our salvation is wholly dependent upon him, and we praise you for it. Be with us and help us each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.